Hey, what's going on, guys? How are you doing? I hope this podcast finds you well. Just a little something for you to listen to, sit back, chill, maybe in your car, work or something. Listen to a little story, (laughs) a little story I got to (laughs) tell. But I'm continuing on with my um, Cora Jakes, T.D. Jakes, Potter's House rants that I've been doing. And this one is in reference to the Michelle Loud, Tasha Kay interview that they had done. As I had said to you before, if that interview was made public on YouTube, I would come back to you and give you my breakdown on everything. Now, I can't insert the clips. Can't do that. No problem with that. I can't do that. But I can at least break down all the information that was given in that interview give you my opinion on a few things and paint the picture in chronological order so that you're able to better understand everything that's going on. Because like I said before, this story has branches. It's not just this situation with Michelle Loud and baby Jason, which is also, of course, the main focus. It's the, it's the important thing. And this is what we want. What we want right now is for Michelle to get her child back. But as a result of this particular situation, we now have several other situations that are going on. So the spotlight is definitely on Potter's house, TD Jakes and Core Jakes. Actually the whole family because some people feel as though like Sarah's she's, you know, scot free, but it's the whole entire family. In fact, the reason why it was taking me some time to get this particular podcast out is because I'm doing some research in reference to some things that I've found that are old, old stuff that confirms certain aspects that are going on in the Potter's house right now. And also certain things that are happening with Michelle, with certain members in that church. So I was going over that. You have to listen. And when church people talk, y'all, you already know when church people talk, honey, it goes on for a while. So you got to go through and listen to what everybody has to say. And that's what I'm doing. So I am going to come back to you with a video. I'm sorry, not a video. (laughs) I'm thinking YouTube with a podcast um, pertaining to Potter's house and some things that I found with that because it all it all ties in together. And like I always say, before you can come to a conclusion about a story. You can't just come to that conclusion, at least when it comes to church things. This applies to me in all my life. I don't ever come to a conclusion about one thing based off of one story. You have to understand the landscape. You have to understand the context. As in when you read the Bible, you can't just read it and think it's a little storybook. When you read the Bible in the spirit, it takes on a different meaning than if you were reading it in the natural. And the true understanding of the word is in the spirit. So when you don't have the spirit and you take out literal words and use it to your advantage, this is why we are where we are. Because people take the word and they take a little piece and they say, this is what it is. And they they start a movement and they say, this is why we're allowed to do X, Y, and Z. And that's not right. That's blasphemy. So let me not go into that. But like I said, I am going to come back to you with some other things pertaining to this situation. Now, going back to the Tasha K. Michelle Loud interview. First things first, I'd have to say Tasha K. did an excellent job interviewing Michelle Loud. 
she did a great job. I think that um, Tasha K did the interview with integrity. And I have to applaud her for that. Um, because if you know Tasha Kay, you know, you, you know, don't know where this interview going to go. But I think that on, she was very honest with her. I think that um, she took the story and she did with it exactly what, at least what I expected her to do, which was put the story into chronological order. If, if this, isn't, this isn't tea, you know, this isn't some gossip or whatever. This is a story and this is something that's actually happening. And I think Tasha K did a very good job in doing so. Another thing that I um, want to do first before going into the actual interview and painting the picture, I want to tell the story in order so you know briefly, if you don't want to watch that long interview, what's going on and what she said. But before I do that, there are two or three things that were mentioned in that interview that I wanted to mention before I get into the actual baby Jason portion, because it's important, like I said, for you to understand the person. So before you can figure out if Cora did this or not, or what her intentions were, you have to understand the character of the person. And what I found interesting, first of all, was that in the interview, it was stated that allegedly Cora had gotten pregnant between the ages of 15 and 17. So let's say Cora was pregnant at 16 years old. Now, we know this is true because if you are in a church setting and you understand church family, you understand that we all kind of hang with each other and know each other's business to a certain level. Now, that depends on what kind of church you go to, but overall, pretty much people understand what I'm talking about. If you had a church where you were really close with them and you did everything with them and you were involved in multiple ministries and you understand church family is family. And if there are young people around your age, you know kind of what's going on in their life, whether it's good or it's bad. Okay. <laughs> you know, they business. Okay. So Cora had gotten pregnant. Now, the other reason we know that she had gotten pregnant is because the person she had gotten pregnant by was a guy who had gone to the church. So come on, guys, take this story out of their situation. Bring it back to your church home. Okay, this is not that this is not that mind blowing. Okay, like 16 year old Cora had gotten pregnant by her boyfriend that she was dating for a few years. I think it's something like two years or something. Somebody that was already going to the church, maybe some elder's son or, you know, somebody's somebody's son that's been there for a long time or somebody, you know, grandfather that's been there, his grandson or whoever. You know the ones in church who were dating each other, (laughs) okay? And she got pregnant. It's not a big deal if you understand the church atmosphere, okay? So Cora had gotten pregnant at 16. And apparently she had gotten an abortion, Allegedly, she had gotten an abortion and this abortion had torn her insides. And this is the reason why she cannot have children now. Okay. Now for me, I find this story very believable. The reason why to me it's very believable is because the religion that I was brought in, brought up in was very conservative. Okay. I will not even going to name them because it's already, when you mention them, when you name drop them, they come after you, okay? <laughs> and this is not what this is about. It's not about the religion that I came from, but I'm just explaining the reason why I believe this story about the abortion. First of all, in my religion, if you were to get pregnant at this age, it's unacceptable. 
okay? And other religions, they'll, you know, embrace you with open arms and everybody will help raise babies, such and such. And I think that's the right thing to do. However, no. In my religion, I know this to be true, okay? In college, they have gone, people have gone to the counselor to let them know that they have gotten pregnant and they have given them Planned Parenthood referrals, okay? We know what that is. They give them the referrals to go to the necessary people to take care of that because this particular person is somebody's pastor's child. This particular person is on the is in is 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 big in my old religion sector. They're big in some type of way. And if they were to see that they got pregnant at this young age or out of wedlock while they're in college, then it's going to destroy not only the child's life, but their whole family's life and what they stand for. So the counselor will slip that parent Planned Parenthood, not even trying to help this, this woman figure out whether or not she might want to have this child. Or how about we just talk about the Bible and what we should do there, but we're not even there on the Bible note. We're just talking about image. And in the religion image, it's not right to do it, so we've got to fix it. And how does religion correct it? By acting like it did not happen. Okay? Acting like it did not happen. I've had girls who have gotten so desperate, and I've heard about this happening multiple times in my religion, in college, okay, that they have gone into the bathroom and performed their own abortion with a hanger. Lord, have mercy. They've done their own with a hanger. That desperate for no one to know what you're actively doing. The result of what you're actively doing. Because makes no mistake, normally that does the abortion doesn't change the behavior. You're still going to do what you do. But they're just going to make sure that there's no evidence. And the evidence would be the child. So because of that, you know, I have a tendency to believe that there is a possibility that Cora was indeed pregnant and did indeed have an abortion. And because of the fact that she had this botched abortion, she can't have kids now. It happens all the time. I don't know why that particular part of the story seems so unbelievable or salacious other than the fact that she might have lied about it. She says that, you know, she has PCOS and that um, she's unable to have kids and so forth. Okay, you know, there's some there's some there's some discrepancies going on here. Clearly, there's some discrepancies, but definitely both can be proven it's not like this is just somebody randomly saying that this person was pregnant there's obviously some level of evidence not to mention the fact that like I said there are other people that know about this the other thing that I found interesting and this is something that church kids do all the time and church children do it and it turned they church kids turn into church adults and here we are okay Church kids have a tendency to lie a lot, okay? Church kids have a tendency to be very manipulative. And it's not necessarily in a bad way to hurt people. Some people do it in that way. But the reason why a lot of times church kids have a tendency to be this way, and I'm not saying other people don't, but we're talking, we're having a, we're talking about church people right now. So this is what we're talking about. So this is the, this is the, the topic, <laughs> so this is where this is where we're going. But church kids 
have a tendency to manipulate and lie to their elders because we're taught to do exactly as they do. So let's say you're in a particular religion or way of life or whatever, and you don't agree agree with that way, but you are raised to agree with it. If you go against them, there's going to be a problem. But you in your heart might not feel the same way on the same belief systems or in certain aspects of your belief system. You might not feel the same way that your elders do, but you're unable to express that. But you are who you are. It's the flesh, right? So what happens is you have a tendency to have church children who have multiple personalities, literally, You have the church personality, oh, praise God, if you speak in tongues, the whole thing, you have the beautiful shout. You, your shout goes with the beat every time. I mean, you just go in. You can even produce tears, okay? You have the church atmosphere thing damn packed. But once you leave and you go, you'll hang with your friends that you grew up with that are not from the church, or you go and hang with your friends from from work, or wherever you have met these people, right? You dang, you know, you're doing your thing. Your tongue is different. You speak different. You, you know, you're looser and you're you doing whatever it is that you do that you don't do with your church friends. So we produce these liars, these manipulators who make you honestly believe that 24-7 they're singing, praying, and shouting the name of Jesus And they don't have this other life where they partying and having a good old time (laughs) with the world, right? Having a good old time. So we produce that from young. And what happens to these young children who have these double lives or, or, or not comfortable expressing to their church family how they really are? They become adults, narcissists, right? Who think of themselves, who create these personas, They can't tell a story without it being about them. (laughs) You know what I mean? They lie about these stories. They make the stories a lot bigger than what they are. There's so many of them. So I don't understand why the characterization of Cora herself is not believable to a lot of us who've been brought up in the church. (laughs) This is is regular stuff here. (laughs) But a story they had told in the interview, um, uh, Michelle was talking about one time they were talking about, I guess, family and their, and their parents and, uh, and Cora, of course, she's the one that has to have the, the, the biggest story, right? They can't just have a regular conversation. Cora can't just say, I'm sad because I feel as though the relationship with my father could be better or my, my relationship with my father isn't as close as I would like it to be. Instead, apparently she had told the story where, She was in the situation with someone and I believe she had been sexually assaulted and she was beaten and she came in the church and she was walking in the church, walking through the sanctuary or somewhere in the church, y'all just roll with me. She was walking, allegedly walking, walking through the aisles and no one noticed. No one noticed that this child was beaten and that something had happened to her. Why would my father not notice what happened to me? Says Cora in this story, right? And everybody apparently that was listening to this story just looked at her. You know, they listened to it. 
and continue on because apparently everyone knows the characterization of Cora. So you're talking amongst people and they're talking about this story and she's so dramatic with it. Everyone kind of knows to kind of, you know, take it with a grain of salt. You know, Cora just wants to have the best story about not having a relationship with her father than everyone else. But I just found it interesting to bring up that story because, like I said, you have to paint the picture of the person to understand the story before you give the story of what's happening to Michelle, right? One other thing I wanted to bring up that was brought up in this interview that I had spoken on in my previous podcast, but I want to make sure I bring up everything, was that, again, there's a, the T.D. Jake's property is a very large property, there's the T.D. Jakes' main home where T.D. Jakes and Sarita Jakes both live together. But apparently there's a secondary home where Cora and Sarah lived. So they live separately from their parents from a very young age, right? Now that ties back in with the pregnancies. You, talk, you think back at the fact that Sarah had gotten pregnant at 13, right? And we also think back at the fact that Cora got pregnant around the age of 16. And it's not surprising to think that this might have happened also because of the fact that they didn't even live in the same house as their children. Lord only knows what was going on in that house. What was allowed in that house. You see what I mean? So those are the two things that I wanted to discuss Um, before getting into the interview. So let's hop right in. In the beginning of the interview, it was already very sentimental. And I have to say that, Michelle, I have to give my hat off to you for giving tribute to your mother in the beginning of the interview. Michelle, um, Tasha Kay had asked Michelle, she said, you always talk about coming from humble beginnings. And Tasha Kay wanted Michelle to expound on that. What do you mean by humble beginnings? Where did you come from? Who is Michelle? So Michelle started off the interview speaking on her mother, how she grew up, you know, her siblings. But there was a tender moment right there where she was talking about her mother and she began to tear up and she thanked her for all that she had done for her. Because before when she was younger, of course, you know, we're younger, we don't understand certain things and decisions that our parents make can be annoying. We don't like it. We don't respect them at the moment. But she says, looking back at it, she truly respects the fact that her mother took the time to raise God-fearing children, not just children, but God-fearing children. It takes, it takes something a little different when you add the spirit of God into the mix, you know, the church and the activities and so forth. And her mother is sick. She has lymphedema and She always has had struggles. And, you know, Michelle, she just talked about what those struggles consisted of. She lost her father at a young age, and I believe at the age of 10. And um, it it, it was really great to see that tender moment because it was very genuine. Next, the next thing I wanted to talk about Um, was that Cora, a lot of people, for some reason, I don't know why, because I don't really see where she mentioned it like that, but I think it's that Cora has painted this picture that she took the baby from like the hospital and just took her, took the child and it was hers from there. But that's not the case. That's not how she, um, she was able to get away with this guardianship situation. So Cora, Cora did not take 
baby Jason from just from the hospital to her new home. Okay. Michelle and Cora, they had, first of all, they met in the year of 2000. Okay. So establishing a relationship, this is not somebody who just knew Cora for like one or two years. And then here we are. She met Cora in 2000. And that was at a new member's orientation. At the time, Michelle was about 10 years old. And Michelle's family, they had visited the Potter's house for about two years before they actually joined the church. So that's the timeline on that. There was, there was a little bit of a relationship that was starting to form when Michelle was visiting the church. But they hadn't quite joined yet. But something was there, right? So we, like I said... Cora and Michelle, they were at the hospital together. Now, the reason why Cora and Michelle were in the hospital together was that Michelle, she had gone through, she was already in a long-term relationship with someone. They had gone through some, some issues like, like anybody. I don't understand why, again, this is a big deal, but she had gone through some issues with the person that she was dating and they were no longer together for whatever reason. Okay, she mentioned it in there, but I don't think it's important. Okay, they're going through their issues. They weren't together. Michelle had found out she was pregnant further along in her pregnancy. She became very depressed. Okay, that's when that postpartum, it starts to ensue. She was very depressed based on the situation. She was alone and by herself. And when she had went to the hospital, she was with nobody. She was with no one. And everybody said, well, why wasn't she with this? And why wasn't she with that? You you can't understand Michelle because you weren't going through psychologically what she was going through at the time. All you can do is listen to the story with an open mind, but more importantly, an open heart. Okay. Especially for those of us who have struggled with mental health at some form and capacity, especially anxiety and depression. I mean, come on now. This child is going through something that's very, very serious. A lot of things are going through her mind that most likely are not true. But when you are going through depression, it doesn't matter what's true. Your mind is your mind. You're going through what you're going through. She's by herself. She's in the hospital. And she decides, you know what? I'm going to call Cora. Somebody that I've known. She's in the children's ministry. She loves children. I'm going to call Cora. She calls Cora. Cora drops everything that she's doing at the time. Okay, and she comes to that hospital. She comes to the hospital, Michelle, she has the child. Apparently, Michelle was saying that every time she was with baby Jason, she was breastfeeding, right? And she would put the child down because it's important to make sure that you put your baby down. If anybody's had children, you understand that you want to discipline the child from young to not always be in your arms. So she put the baby down after she had breastfed, which is okay. That's normal, right? But apparently every time she put the child down, here comes Cora picking up baby Jason. And in that hospital stay, she had baby Jason all the time in her arms, except for the time that Michelle was breastfeeding. Now in this time, Michelle did not know she was stating that she did not know she was going through postpartum depression. However, Apparently, Cora did because she mentioned that Cora was saying to the nurses that she was going through, Michelle was going through postpartum depression, right? Now, fast forward. Michelle goes back to her mother's home. 
okay? Now, her mother could not be at the hospital because, like I said, her mother is sick. And Michelle has other children. So Michelle's other children are with Michelle's mother, okay? That's why Michelle was by herself and not with her mother. She could not do it. And I don't think she has to explain. If she has a loving relationship with her mother and she couldn't be there, she just couldn't be there. It happens. I don't know why everybody's acting like this stuff don't don't happen in regular life. Like, this is regular stuff. So she comes home with the baby. Cora, of course, is still involved with Michelle because she's she has this connection, quote-unquote. I got my little quote-unquote fingers up. She has this connection with the baby, right? So Cora starts talking. Now, Michelle's trying to get on her feet, okay? She's going through postpartum depression. She's got other children. She's got to work. She's got to figure this out. She's got to figure out her living situation. She's got to figure out what she's going to do because she's no longer with the person that she was with before. This happens all the time. She got to go back home because a relationship didn't work out. Happens all the time. Goes back home. Cora says to Michelle, look, look, look. Look where your mom stays. You know? And look where I stay. How about you come with baby Jason we have enough space for you. Come, you come with baby Jason and you come stay at the house. Because again, remember, Michelle has been to Cora's house. She's staying by, she stayed by Cora's house. They have experiences together in the house together for years prior to this happening. So Cora's talking to, to Michelle and saying, look, come on, come stay over here. You know, and Michelle's looking at it like, wow, look at this. Michelle is trying to get on her feet. And this friend is offering for me to stay at her luxurious home, right? So she goes ahead and eventually moves in with Cora. Now, she lives there for some time. And apparently, while Michelle was working, Michelle had wanted, I'm sorry, Cora. Cora had wanted for Michelle to um, sign over um, because they were taking her, Cora Jakes and her husband at the time, Brandon and Coleman, were going on a vacation. And what they had told Michelle was that she was signing paperwork to take baby Jason out of town for the vacation. So unfortunately, because of the fact, like I said, Michelle mentally is not where Michelle is right now. Girl, baby's on point right now. But she wasn't there at that time. So she just quickly signs this paperwork and I understand it in the fact that she's tired and she's trusting that Cora is doing what Cora is saying she's doing. You see what I'm saying? She's not thinking that she's doing something else. (laughs) This is after the fact that we're looking at this story. But at the time, Michelle is trying to get herself together. She's trying to get on her feet. She quickly signs paperwork that she, I'm sure she wishes she didn't sign. But at the time, she was not in the mental state that she is now. You know, you can't say hindsight is twenty twenty because you can't compare how she felt then to how she feels now, okay? She signed the paperwork, and unfortunately, that paperwork was paperwork for her to release guardianship of baby Jason. So, the story is so incredibly manipulative, right, on so many levels, so many levels because what you're talking about and what you don't understand is that we're looking at this situation objectively I'm not friends with Michelle and I'm not friends with Cora so of course we can look at it and we can pull apart every little piece 
But if you stop doing that for two seconds and just listen, this is a young girl. (laughs) She's young. Okay. Who's going through something psychologically and a person preyed upon the fact that she was going through these things and that she wasn't thinking clearly and she went ahead and did what she did. I don't know how we can explain that somehow in some way that was supposed to happen. Now, something else that I found very, very disturbing in this case, Michelle and Cora, they had a a mutual friend, a mutual friend. And I think her name was Keisha. I think Michelle stated in her interview that the um, child's name was Keisha. Now, apparently Keisha would sometimes stay over at Cora's house, but this is not an unnormal occurrence because again, a lot of people stayed at Cora's house that were young people, of course, around Cora's age. A lot of young people that were around Cora and Sarah's age stayed at the house. So this mutual friend, Keisha, she was staying over um, by the house, by Cora Jake's house. And um, one day, I think, apparently, allegedly, one day, um, Cora, well, first let me tell you about Cora. So Cora apparently does not like to wake up in the morning. She's not a morning person. Okay. Just to paint the picture of Cora. She does not like mornings and like a child would baby Jason, he would run out of the room in the morning. So <laughs> this is the solution that homegirl Cora decided to come up with when the baby's door was closed you really could not hear what was going on in the room. So you would like to have the door kind of cracked so that he could, you know, you could hear if he's crying or screaming or something's happening, you can kind of hear what's going on from that room. Cora decides that she's going to put a lock on the door on the outside, on the outside, so that baby Jason can 100% not get out of the room in the mornings. So one day, Keisha the mutual friend Keisha, she had heard baby Jason crying in the room. So she went inside of the room. She took the lock off the door on the outside. She went inside there and she took a look at baby Jason. And apparently, allegedly, he was laying in his own feces, right? And like feces are like, you know, poking out of his diaper. Okay. The poor child had not been taken care of. It was disgusting to see, right? So Keisha had called Michelle to let her know what was going on. But you have to also understand there are limited. Now, I'm sure there's other details. And Michelle don't need to tell us, okay, because the court needs to know. We don't need to know everything. But I'm sure they tried to do something. But they failed because the Jake's last name has power. It has money in Texas, okay? So nothing was done about that situation. But Michelle was scared. She was very, very concerned. After hearing about what's going on in the house after she left, she signed over this guardianship paperwork. There are a lot of moving pieces to this where, and I'm sure, like I said, there are other facts, but Michelle's just giving us a piece, a little small picture. Because, baby, I know there's a lot (laughs) going on that people have seen that aren't saying anything. I'm I'm 100% sure that that is the case. So she's just telling us a couple little stories or a couple pieces of this story. And she don't need to tell us everything. Just the little pieces that she's telling us are horrible. Now, the other thing that I find extremely disturbing about this case is that during the time of constant, and I mean constant, manipulation on Michelle, 
they had this Dr. Galena, who's this proclaimed, I'm so ashamed to even say it, prophetess. That was painful to say. This Dr. Galena, um, who's this prophetess, came over and performed this quote-unquote exorcism on Michelle because Michelle wanted to keep her child. So she needed an exorcism. And she is prophesying, speaking in tongues, laying hands on Michelle, telling her that trying to convince Michelle, right? While Michelle's going through all of this, trying to convince Michelle that the the child that she gave birth to, the child that she gave birth to does not belong to her. It belongs to Cora. How can you even do anything in the name of God and do that kind of foolishness? I don't even want to go there. I don't even want to go there because I took a look at who I saw a couple pictures of Dr. Gaylena. I'm not even going to say what came up in the spirit for me when I saw those pictures, but we're going to move on because it's insignificant because none of this is of God. So that's why I say, I'm just telling you what they proclaim to be. She proclaims to be a prophetess that, that, that did some kind of exorcism on Michelle. Okay. And told her that her own child does not belong to her. But what's more insane about the story, and like I said, the story has branches, right? Everything's connected. Apparently, allegedly, Dr. Galena's child was acquired by similar means to the way that Cora gained guardianship of baby Jason. We're going to leave that right there. But apparently, when I heard about this particular exorcism, I heard people talking about this SRA. And um, SRA stands for Satanic Ritual Abuse. I'm going to look more into it. I might do a small podcast on it later on. But it's called Satanic Ritual Abuse. That is what Michelle was encountering when Dr. Galena did that whole song and dance and tried to proclaim the name of God. Okay, Michelle was experiencing satanic ritual abuse. Now, another big case, a big fact in the case, I forgot to mention, I want to make sure before we close out, I want to make sure we talk about this, is the fact that Judge Faith Johnson, and I'm sure those who have been following the case have heard that name, but Judge Faith Johnson was involved in this case. Now, she is... Or I don't know if she is or was. I'm not exactly sure because I have not done a deep dive in into her. I have to be honest with you. I'm just going off of what I've heard here and there. But she either is or was the DA in Texas right now. Um, and she also, and this is fact, that she was a board member at the Potter's house. Okay? So she was the she was or is the D, district attorney and also a, was a board member or is a board member at the potter's house i mean like complete mix of church and state i don't even know how much cleaner you guys need to read it do we even need to go are we like come on y'all we don't even need to go to the bible they are completely mixing church and state with that right i talked about that in my previous podcast now judge faith she actually authorized the guardianship contract without counsel knowing that Michelle didn't want to sign guardianship. Michelle talked about it in the interview. She didn't want to. And even if you um, listen, if you have listened to her Facebook post where she you know, broke this whole thing wide open, she had already said she was talking and saying she did not want to sign over guardianship. So you 
got Judge Faith in there knowing that this child don't want to do it and she's going to go ahead and move forward and do it anyway. Even though she's got all these high positions in both the regular state and also the Potter's house, she went ahead and moved forward with this paper in court. She moved forward with this guardianship paperwork. Now, after she performed this, this illegal act of the guardianship paperwork, in court, she stepped down from the case. So she, I think she recused herself after she did it. But who cares after that? So that's, that's why she did it, because the deed had already been done. So if she decided to step down afterwards, that's fine. And I think also the judge has stepped down after as well. I'm not definitely sure. I have to, do it, I have to look more into that. But all kind of problems, guys. All kind of problems. Now, the biggest thing, the biggest and final thing for me where I don't even understand how we got here where Michelle could even have to be ranting and raging to even have her child because throughout this entire situation Cora did not file the guardianship paperwork within the proper time frame with the court okay so once you are you gain guardianship once you've won in court or whatever you've done there are a series of things you've got to do it's not just oh okay take child home whatever there's there's things you got to sign there's paperwork you've got to sign there's necessary paperwork that guardianship paperwork was not signed within that proper time so if it wasn't filed within the proper timing the whole entire case should have been completely thrown out like the whole thing all this that we're talking about, this, that, and the other, the whole case should have been thrown out and Michelle should have had her child because the paperwork wasn't even filed on time. But instead, like I said, money, power, last name, right? Money, power, last name. They go ahead. The court goes ahead and pushes that paperwork through anyway. And I think it was like a big time lapse. Don't quote me on this. Do not quote me. I don't know. But let's say it takes three months. You're supposed to file within three months of a certain timing. She ain't do it until like two years. You see what I'm saying? This, the, the case should have been completely thrown out. She should have had her child back. But instead, like I said, the court went ahead and they pushed that guardianship paperwork through. So on a legal level, like I said, none of this should have even happened. Okay? None of this should have even taken place. So for me, it's like case closed after I heard that. Once I heard that portion, and if that portion is indeed true, which I believe it is, then we just need the right lawyer. I mean, you know, the right lawyer, and that's it. And don't let me go there on a lawyer because we have people talking about, oh, I have hundreds of people wanting to donate to Michelle and all this. And I saw some GoFundMe number, and I was shocked at how low it was compared to what other people are saying they're doing for this case. I'm not getting paid for this. But I will tell you to go donate to her, of course. But I'm not going to take money and profit off of it. I sure hope, and I'm going to close out, but I sure hope that whoever is making videos or doing whatever form on Michelle's story, and they are taking her videos and they are being monetized, that every cent, cent, every cent is going back to Michelle Loud because that's what's right. That shouldn't be going into the pocket of anyone else. It's one thing if we're talking about this story and it, it has already happened and there has been a conclusion, but this child needs help, right? We need to stop taking advantage and stop. And that's why I don't really listen to the gospel sector. I don't really do. I don't listen to too many of those people because I don't like people trying to put the, put the, the, the focus on self when it's supposed to, you're talking about God. 
When you're talking about God, it shouldn't be all about you. And, and, and I just don't like it. So I stay away from it. I just, I just, I just don't like it. And for this particular story, I just hope that those who have talked about it and have, have made money and not everybody has, but those who have, I sure hope every cent, not a portion, not a percentage, but every cent goes back to this fund to help this child get her son back because those numbers should be a lot higher than that. And I, and I hope, I know that I don't reach a whole bunch of people, but the little couple people, it could be one, two people, but those who listen, there could be a person who has the money, who has the connections that can really be authentic and help Michelle out. Please reach out to that child. Please reach out to her and help her out. That's all it takes is one. I don't need thousands and hundreds and all this foolishness. All it takes is one. And like I said, us as people who understand the word and who are authentic and who are not trying to do things for self, we just got to step up some more. We've got to do more. We have to bring more attention. We have to inspire those people who have, you know, are thinking what we're thinking, but they don't speak out because it's not popular. We got to do it. This is the story. This is what it is. And if it continues on, we're going to keep talking about it. Period. <laughs> Period. <laughs> but thank you guys so much for listening. Like I said, I'm coming back to you guys with something else. I was, I have to finish listening to my church people talk about various situations that have been going on. Um, some people already know people have been convicted already that are in the inner circle, but there's some other things I was listening to from years ago. So I'm just going to finish up with that. And I'm going to come back to you with another um, podcast about this whole rant review of the this situation. I did not expect for it to be this many podcasts. However, it is what it is. We're going to talk about it. And also those I'm going to address probably a very small podcast in reference to Sarah. Because people, you know, seem to think that just because she's nice or she's the prettier one that like she has nothing to do with anything. But everything is connected. In order for in order for a criminal organization or any for any cult, because a cult is a criminal organization, for them to to work, to be fueled, to work, it all works together. All the messages gotta be the same. They have to be flowing a certain kind of way. Certain things have to be happening in the background. They have to be talking to certain people. It's not just TD Jakes. It's ever it's all of them. It's all of them. And I hope that the understanding of this will just make you see things clearer so that you can be more vigilant in your own life. That's what's important, to be more vigilant and understand that God reigns. There are still some authentic people. There are people that will, hey, pray for you in a second. Don't care what it's about. Don't expect anything in return. There are some of us that are still around and that are young people. And we here, we're going to talk about it. And we're going to hope that, no, we, we're, we're going to hope, we're going to pray, we're going to do what we can, and we're going we're gonna to turn things around that have been done wrong. And this is something that's been done wrong in the church, and we're making it right. We're talking about it. So I'll be back to you more with more about that. And until next time, I love you guys so much. Thank you so much for listening to this very long podcast. Until next time, bye.